The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about CGTN, and this has been a topic that's been of a lot of discussion among researchers and media watchers over the past six, uh, I'd say six months or so. Uh, there have been a number of fascinating reports that have come out, starting back, let's say, last August. Uh, Aubrey Ruby, a good friend of ours from the show, she wrote a, an article in Foreign Policy magazine, In Africa, China is the News. Uh, that was a great report on CGTN's role and the Chinese media's role in Africa. Then, of course, we spoke with uh, Sarah Cook from Freedom House a couple of weeks ago about her report, Beijing's Global Megaphone, that talked about uh, Chinese propaganda and Chinese media, including CGTN in Africa and around the world. And then there was this great report from Meriden Varal, a non-resident fellow at the Lowy Institute in Australia, where she wrote, Behind the News, Inside China Global Television Network. Now, what's interesting about all of these different reports is that they never seem to quote directly CGTN staff and people. It's, uh, you know, they're great reports, please don't get me wrong, but we never get to hear from the people who actually work on the inside. And Kobus, that does present a totally different side of the story rather than just looking at the analytical aspect of CGTN. Yes, these reports also tend to focus on one part of CGN's work, which is which is messaging and putting out, you know, kind of putting out narratives about China in the world. But it doesn't focus so much on all of the work that CGTN does, which is very similar to the work that CNN does, for example. You know, it's, it's the the work of 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 covering news on a for a twenty four hour news audience. Um, so there's very little accounts from outside about how CGTN journalists actually work. Um, and what you know, kind of what their daily work is like. Uh, most of the time, it's only focusing on one aspect of their work. So, for those of you who are not familiar with CGTN, uh, and it's possible because it's still a relatively new brand. It was relaunched in 2016 as part of a big push by the Chinese government to increase its soft power around the world. Back then, it was called uh, CCTV, China Central Television, which still exists in China. It's very much a part of the Chinese propaganda ministry or the propaganda apparatus. Now, the word propaganda in the West tends to have a negative connotation. In other parts of the world, namely China or in Vietnam, places like that, propaganda actually doesn't have a negative connotation. In so many ways, CGTN and Chinese media does represent the voice of the state and is very much aligned with the state because it's very much controlled by both the state and the party in China. So again, very different way of structuring news. Uh, so we are absolutely thrilled to have on the line uh, a journalist from CGTN, Shen Shihui. Uh, now, this is a guy who wears a lot of professional hats. So you have to bear with me during my introduction here because I've got a lot 
to go through here. He's an international editor at uh, at CGTN based in Beijing. To be clear here, he's not affiliated with CGTN Africa, but with CGTN The Network. Uh, He's also a research fellow at the Institute of African Studies at Zhejiang Normal University. He's an overseas investment columnist at the Global Times newspaper, a research fellow at the Chahar Institute, and an Africa and economy affairs commentator at China Radio International. I couldn't even get it all out. Shuhei, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me here. I'm glad to be here and talk about uh, my views about uh, Africa and also my work at CGTM. But uh, as you said, I doesn't represent I, I don't represent CGTN. I just want to talk about my stories. Yeah. I will you know, I'm getting to my disclaimers right now. And so uh, just to be very clear, so as Shuhei alluded, uh, today he's joining us on the show as purely in an individual capacity. And so he, anything he says does not represent CGTN or China Radio National or Global Times or any of the organizations. Uh, that's the case with a lot of journalists. It's like, you know, retweets are not my own, are, not, are my own views kind of things I don't endorse. He is here with his own opinions. And so we want to kind of make that very clear. Also, I want to kind of put something out there that this is not going to be a confrontational interview. That's not the point of our discussion today. Uh, My views on CGTN are well-documented, something that Kobus and I have been talking about for a number of years. Uh, So if you want to look them up, go onto our website and you can see them. But today what we really want to do is hear from Shi Hui to get the story as to how the organization, the network works, how does a journalist like him come up with stories, his experience in Africa, as well as some of his views. So, Shihui, with all of that said, I think a great starting point for us is you're a guy who's been into in Africa for a number of years. You have a lot of journalism experience. You're also in the research side. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into both journalism and also uh, some of the African experiences before we get into our kind of more detailed discussion? Okay, thank you for inviting me here. And uh, about my background, actually, during my study in university, uh, I I don't have any contact with Africa. Actually, uh, just the, despite some uh, knowledge and some history issues about Africa, that's all. But after I graduated from university, I just got a position in you know, one Chinese company, and uh, then I assigned to. Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Actually, I spent uh, almost three years there, mainly based in Ethiopia and also other African countries like you mentioned, Djibouti and other African countries like South Africa, Nigeria, blah, blah. And uh, during my stay there, I just, I have this kind of interest to know what is going on here on this vast continent. Because before I go there, I have actually not much knowledge about this content, uh, continent. And then I gradually, uh, buy some books and then I, I, I know more about the history. And then I, I just want to write something about that, about my story there. And then I just wrote some stories to Chinese, uh, media and uh, then they got published and I feel more encouraged. And then I continue all this kind of research work and all this, uh, journalism and, uh, to, uh, to write what I have saw and what I have experienced there. So I think that have, has laid a lot of uh, foundation and ground for my research work uh, now and also about my journalism. And you see, uh, with my 
uh, abundant resources and also uh, experience there. And now I'm also keep following the African issues, the China-Africa ties, and also China's economic and the political stakes there. So that is uh, how I tra- transform myself from uh, people living in Africa into a journalist uh, have a lot of Africa backgrounds and knowledge. You know, obviously, you went through a whole process of first being in Africa, then reporting on Africa, and now reporting on you know on on Africa and also wider issues um, as a journalist. What were some of the African issues that 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 you found remarkable at the beginning, and uh, you know, kind of how have the things that you focus on in relation to Africa, how have they changed over time? Well, you see, uh, before I joined CJT, uh, I was working in Africa for Chinese companies. And uh, when you uh, do, ish- do business and uh, keep following the local news, you must to have some background. So that is kind of the beginning to know about like uh, the political situation, the economic performance. And also you, when you live there, you 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 must have some uh, contact with uh, the local people, and you then you know their history, their festivals, and uh, also about their food. And I'm also a food lover for many African food. For example, the indra in Ethiopia, and also the pineapple in Uganda, and um, also other foods. They are all great. So I think that is the first beginning uh, of my interest in Africa. Then I just bought a lot of books, both in English and also Chinese, and I just read about their history. Because when you want to know more people in local, and you must, you must learn their culture. Just like uh, when you read Rome, do as the Roman says. So uh, the, I think that is the uh, another beginning. So then gradually after you know you know more and you talk more with the local people and late, uh, later you have a more comprehensive knowledge about Africa. And also before I go to visit some countries, I just borrow some books and just read about their stories. And then gradually you have a better understanding about uh, why they behave like this and what you can expect it and what kind of business opportunities are there. So you must do kind of it's kind of business research or due diligence report. It's just more like that. Yeah, I'd like to understand a little bit more about from the reading that you've done and your worldview on Africa, in part because I always find that it's fascinating when I'm in a place like Washington, there's a certain conversation about the Chinese in Africa that exists. It's a hellhole. The Chinese are debt indebting the whole continent. The Chinese, everything they're doing is terrible. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> it's yeah. very, there's no advocate for China in a place like Washington. Oh, uh, no. no There's some, some people in John, uh, Johns Hopkins. Sorry. Yeah, there, there's some people that are advocates China's yes. problem. Yeah, yeah. There are some exceptions. There are yeah. some, but certainly they are the exceptions. But I, I, it's funny because, you know, I've lived in China for a long time. I spend a lot of time in Beijing and Shanghai with scholars and journalists and different other, and other folks. And there there's a whole different conversation that's going on. Yeah. Um, because the, the Chinese news ecosystem is highly controlled, there is censorship that goes on, uh, the, the range of information that people in China see about the Chinese in Africa is quite limited. 
and is oftentimes focuses on much more positive aspects of Chinese engagement and the more controversial, sensitive, uh, those types of issues don't get addressed in the same way, if at all. And so when I'm talking with Chinese journalists and people about it, uh, and I'll bring up some of, some of the more sensitive issues, they'll have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, just the same example, way in Washington, for, for, for they example, have no... What, what kind of oh, when, issue? W- yeah. when we start talking about, for example, the racism issue on the Standard Gauge Railway last year, the great investigation that Daily Nation newspaper did about how Chinese management was abusing local workers on the SGR. Uh, there was no mention of that, as far as I know, in the Chinese press. Uh, sorry, uh, that sorry was a t- I, I, I didn't follow this issue, so uh, I, there we go. I, don't, I don't know so, how to say that issue. Yeah, that's, But that's my point. That's exactly my point, is there mm-hmm. are a lot of issues. And I'm not saying this is, a, I'm not taking a value judgment on it. Please, this is the way it is in China. That's just the way it is. The point is, though, is that a lot of people have worldviews that are, that are not necessarily aligned with reality, whether it's in Washington or in China. Now, what's interesting about you is that you follow me on Twitter, and you jump on a VPN and go onto Twitter, and you get to see all of the various discussions that are going on about China and Africa on places like Twitter. And you got our newsletter mm. for a little bit. How do you kind of take the information that you see on Twitter, which is not necessarily the same information that you're getting in China, and put those together to come up with a worldview that allows you then to pitch stories to your editors at CGTN in such a way that your editors will accept them because they have to fit within the guidelines of what China does and seems as acceptable for coverage of Africa. Does that make sense? Uh, actually, I want to just uh, mention that uh, actually now we, are, we, we would like to give a more comprehensive view about China-Africa relations. And you see, nowadays uh, uh, something happened in Twitter and it's also happening on Chinese media, social medias like uh, the Sina Weibo. It's, it's more like a Twitter-like uh, network. And also the we have the WeChat groups and people in Africa, they will share their views. And also there are some like uh, the... Uh, is another kind of uh, uh, social media and also it's affiliated with the TikTok. TikTok. And uh, this is a video platform and shared by many people. And we can see a lot of issues. To be fair, um, those are still censored and monitored for sensitive com- content. So there are a lot more social media. You're absolutely right. There's a ton of places to talk. It's not an open discussion in that sense. But we still have different uh, like perspective on China-Africa issues and also some, uh, as you said, some negative issues like uh, that the Chinese people are doing some bad issues there and also about some African people doing bad issues in, in China. Well, you see, uh, when we talk about uh, Africa, it's a little bit quite uh, uh, complicated when you do some kind of reports because you need to uh, consider... Uh, the, 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 the people's rea- reactions and uh, in Africa. And also you need to care about uh, the people in ho- at home, the people, you, you, I mean, the Chinese people living in China. Because, you see, sometimes there are some uh, bad behaviors of African people like uh, in China. Some students, uh, I think you have followed uh, one issue previously. Uh, some African students, uh, they study in China, but uh, they broke the traffic law and they, they beat the traffic police and that video got a very huge negative uh, reactions on uh, Chinese internet and that is a very very negative issue so uh, because, <laughs> because of that 
Oh, can we say that uh, we have some bad image of Africa? Of course not. But you, we must kind of do um, kind of uh, positive issues that to have a balanced view. So we, we we just want to have a more balanced and comprehensive intro, a comprehensive introduction about Africa, about China-Africa ties. So if you want to, if we just always put negative issues. And that both sides will not like each other. And、uh, previously, some people told me like、uh, when after we have the CJT in Africa, what we want to present is more balanced view. We bring you good news. We bring you the bad news. We bring you a more comprehensive issue and、uh, give the rights of judgment to the audience. And、uh, after we broadcast like the CGT and the many documentaries and also other interviews,、uh, like CNN Africa and also BBC Africa, they just kind of to、uh, adjust their、uh, editing principle.、Uh, that is what I have heard. The, the foreign news services that you mentioned、um, was it your impression that they that they started shifting some of their coverage in in response to how CGTN was covering Africa. No,、uh, about their coverage of Africa, because previously the for CCN Africa and BBC Africa, they mainly talk about、uh, the corruption, the bribery, and、uh, the chaos and the disease in Africa. Now they come up with more positive issues like their economic uh, development, uh, their improvements in social affairs, and、uh, others. So they are. Going to have a more balanced view because, and you think they're they're doing that because of CGTN's presence in twenty four hour broadcasting in Africa? Is that is that what you're saying? Uh, uh, I heard these issues from some editors in the foreign media. So, yeah, so that is what I have heard. And、uh, by the way, well, we're not twenty four hours broadcasting in Africa. So,、right. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It, it, You know, so the just a little bit of background for for folks who are not familiar with CGTN. One of the premises of it is that it does positive news about Africa, and so a lot of the stories are very complementary of African leaders, and it doesn't do as much of the negative news, the war, famine, disease that traditional、uh, news outlets like BBC, CNN, and others have done. A lot of people will say that that is、uh, really, again, a, a little bit of a one-sided view of it. In part because it's favoring、uh, governments who are already entrenched in Africa. It's not challenging governments, investigative reporting, and things like that. That being said, CNN doesn't do much investigative reporting in Africa either, so that's not really fair to to do that as well. But when it comes to pitching a story and thinking about these positive. This positive news is what CGTN goes on about.、Uh, how do you come up with stories、uh, to pitch to your editors? Positive issue is more comprehensive issue. Yeah. Okay. Comprehensive. Yeah. How do you come up with a story and pitch it to your editor? Tell, walk us through that process and how it works. Uh, it's not about process. Like、uh, we just mainly just、uh, do kind of pre-research about what kind of a topic we can following, and we just. Uh, following the news from at home and also abroad, and what about like、uh, China Africa relations and also Africa development, and what are the key points that many media like、uh, CNN, BBC, Al Jazeera, and others are focusing? Like、uh, previous last year,、uh, I think that that trap is uh, uh, is a very hot topic for many countries. Yeah, yeah. not only Africa but also other issues. And、uh, this notion was created by. 
actually was initiated by the Indian people and then they promoted by the U.S. And then we do a lot of research and we invite uh, scholars, journalists, and also we do interviews with the local people and also about the government officials, bankers, businessmen to tell us the stories behind uh, all these uh, 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 notions or, or other issues. So that is uh, how we uh, pick a story. But on the debt trap issue, all of the CGTN stories that I have seen, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, so please correct me, have been all that the debt trap issue is not true, that it's false, that the United States and this Indian professor who started it are misled. They There's lots of different reasons. Do you ever have anybody on who, have you ever heard, uh, is there anybody on who says it is true, who validates what people like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, or is that not part of the story? Well, you see, it's, it is not only uh, us. It's not only the CGTN's uh, program saying it's it's, uh, it's not a true issue. But also, you see many scholars in the U.S., and they, like the John Hawkins, they have a very, very comprehensive report, and they just say it is the false. And also, like, uh, uh, the when we when we did talk about the debt trap issue, the the main two uh, examples. One is uh, Djibouti, and the other one is uh, uh, like uh, uh, the Hamban Tota port. And uh, actually, I have done a lot of research on this uh, Hamban Tota port. And even for the local, like uh, the governor, the prime minister, the local people, and they put all the Ministry of the Finance, this financial uh, audit, and all this uh, this kind of uh, debt trap notion was false. So how you can just say the false is the truth. <laughs> so we must report based on the truth, right? And we also quote all this uh, uh, judgment and all these reports from like the World Bank, like from the other institutions. They, they, they all support this kind of uh, idea that uh, uh, the debt trap is a false idea. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa Channel Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. You know, at the beginning, you mentioned um, incidents. For example, the the viral video of uh, of the the fight between African students and the traffic police in China. Um, when you have a situation like that, where there's there's video already out there, you know, and it's, it's starting to go viral online. Um, here we can add. Uh, the video that was recently of, of a Chinese uh, restaurateur or chef um, beating a, an African worker in Kenya, for example, um, or even the the controversy around the the Spring Festival, um, you know, that I think two years ago. Or so you know, where there was a skit with with an actor in blackface. Um, if there's if you're dealing with a situation where this video is already out there, it's starting to become controversial. It's starting being picked up by media around the world. What is the conversation that takes place in the newsroom about whether to to report on it or not? And then, if you do report on it, like what angle to take? You mean the, how to report uh, these kind of controversies? Yes. Well, first we must figure out uh, what is the real situation there and uh, whose fault. And uh, you see, uh, 
uh, let me continue with that example later. The uh, the the university give kind of warnings and uh, and apology and to the, the police. And uh, if my memory is correct, and uh, later some、uh, mainstream media they gave their comments and、uh, to how to understand these issues and、uh, especially when there's a, a such a controversy incident incident because、uh, that has、uh, a lot of relation with the, how to treat those、uh, foreign students and to、uh, give. Hmm. How to say that? Okay. So, it, when we select kind of angles, we must、uh, tell the truth. What is、uh, really happening? And we give like more like a timeline and、uh, what happened at what specific time and and who should be blamed. And then we 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 just talk more about how we should、uh, avoid such issues、uh, in the future. Like this kind of controversies, like the university should have a more、uh, regulations and behavior regulations for their students, and their students、uh, should not do what what、uh, kind of issues that will trigger a lot of public anger, and just behave themselves. It is more like the same. Like some Chinese people, they are doing. Uh, they they have some bad behaviors, like you said. They beat the locals. They they fight with the local people. But sometimes it's also the local people fights with Chinese people. So the both sides will tell both uh sides will tell their uh nationals to uh behave themselves better in the future to avoid such. Conflicts because we know that this kind of issue will、uh, kind of have a negative image on both sides. So that would be better.、Uh, that means first, tell the truth. Second, give some judgment and comments on the media. And the third is to find some solutions. Just so I understand clearly, and and this is fascinating for me because I, I'm I'm really learning a lot here. When you say tell the truth. It implies that if the truth deviates from the Chinese government view on a certain issue,、um, you would go ahead and still report that. Or is the idea that CGTN, as you talked about, is to represent China and to make sure that、uh, the country has a good impression and a good it, it looks good to the outside world and it represents what China feels to the outside world? Because sometimes those aren't always aligned with one another. Sometimes you can have a story that maybe not look good. No, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why we always talk about like Chinese government and China's government. Uh, I think uh, that, uh, for example, the the example I raised about that、uh, African students is just in very local level, and there's just a, a dispute between the local traffic police with the university there, so it doesn't affiliate to the Chinese government. But I think、and、the reason also, why、yeah. we are always concerned, and this is also the reason why on the outside we talk about Huawei in the same way. I think it's not very clear to outsiders what the role is between the Chinese government and CGTN. So, for example, I worked at CNN for for many many years. There is no relationship between the United States government and CNN in Atlanta. There was never any political influence. There was never any communication in terms of the White House telling us you're going to report this or that. 
we wrote and did whatever we wanted to do. <laughs> that's the, and that's the way it is. So it's very, but, very clear. But the U.S. But the U.S. But the U.S. have a very uh, clear and very uh, detailed regulations uh, on this news. Uh, uh, news reporting. Uh, I heard there's uh, some uh, laws and regulations that are more, no. much, much more detailed. Uh, no, I'm curious what. Yeah. There, I, I'll, they, I'm they, just. I'm, I'm not to argue, pass. but just there. There literally are. We have. It's in our yeah. constitution that we have freedom of the press, and there. I mean, I've been an American journalist my yeah. whole career. So do we. And there's so been no raw law or regulation. I have. To, I can't go into a theater and shout fire. But no, no, no. I mean, I mean, like uh, in Great Britain, they have the Ofcom. They do, and they have kind of regulation. And uh, previously, uh, like uh, the RT, they they express themselves, but they got fired, <laughs> a lot of fires by the Ofcom. So uh, each each country have their regulations on their media, like uh, what you can do, what you cannot do, and if you do that, even for the foreign media, they they will punish yeah, you. Yeah. So, but like, I think uh, with what Ofcom, Ofcom is doing to RT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with Ofcom. At least it's clear. We know exactly there are rules and regulations, and it's out there, and everybody can see it if you study it. Yeah. I don't want to. And in the United States, there are, as far as I know, none, but uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't think so. And then in France, the same way, there are different rules. In China, it's a little bit more opaque. And that's, I think, and, and again, my point here is just to explain why people are confused about CGTN, where we hear from journalists who talk about truth and reporting the story. And, and at the same time, we also hear that, it is, uh, that it's all part of a much bigger government and even part of the Communist Party effort as well to portray China in a more positive light and to exert Chinese soft power. That's a little bit where we get confused. Do you, does that make sense, why, why we might be confused by that? You mean the confused about the relation between the government and the media? Yeah, in China, it's not always confused. It's not always clear for outsiders. Well, you see, uh, the China Central Television and also the CGTN is so uh, it's affiliated. It's under the same umbrella, the CMG, the China Media Group. It's a newly organized one, and uh, together we have uh, two two uh, radios. One is uh, China Radio International (CRI). And also China National Radio is the uh, domestic one, so that those four uh, branches are under the same umbrella, the CMG. So I think uh, uh, it's kind of uh, like Xinhua uh, News Agency and also the People's Daily. They all belongs to the the the, the Chinese government. It it's have a very strong relations, and that means they first. They just uh, kind of uh, information just to broadcast uh, the news and tell people uh, what is going on here and also like uh, the policies and economic uh, performance like the daily news we have saw. And the second one is like uh, like uh, many medias, they will have a lot of uh, you see, they have different uh, layers. Like you have the people in Beijing, you have people in local, and you have people in outside in outside China in other branches. And they do a lot of reporting. They do a, a lot of analysis that will have people help people and also for people in the government to have a better understanding what is going on there. So that is kind of. Uh, a uh, very smooth uh, information channel. Uh, did you get my point? I do. That makes sense. Kobus, what do you think? Well, you know, kind of it's, yeah, it's it's a, 
It's a very complicated question. I think the the, the issue around um, around these kind of the let me sorry I'm I'm, I'm rambling a bit. Um, I would say that that one one of the complicating issues in this discussion is that that a lot of um, what in China I think is regulated is in the West, particularly in the US, is is up to convention. So so as you say, that you know kind of there isn't there isn't a lot of legislation about what can be said or not be said on on in the US media, but certain things won't make it on air. You know, so so someone, it's going to be very, it's it's going to be a very special circumstance. You know, kind of if you have someone on CNN say calling for the overthrow of the U.S. government, for example, right? Um, so so certain certain things might not be regulated officially or explicitly, but they will they but they still end up being regulated in 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 reality. And I think that's you know that's uh, where a lot a lot of that kind of confusion lies. Um, I wonder if if we could bring the discussion um, a little bit closer to Africa. Um, can you talk us through how the editorial chain of command works between the bureau in in Africa, the C CGTN bureau in Africa, and the central offices in Beijing? Um, you know, where do the decisions about what kind of African coverage, you know, kind of where are those decisions made? Um, who has seniority over it? Is it a situation where the African bureau has to present what they what they plan to do to you know, to someone in Beijing, or you know, kind of, or am I misunderstanding that relationship? Uh, well, uh, since I haven't worked in the in our African bureau, and uh, I'm not quite sure about uh, how do they uh, contact with the Beijing bureau because I mainly work in Beijing and do my program in Beijing. And uh, what I know is like uh, we have a lot of local reporters in Africa, in many countries, and also in other countries in the world. And uh, sometimes uh, the the local, the actually most of the time, the the local reporter will select their topic, and they just want to just tell us uh, what they want to do, like uh, different angles and uh, who they are going to interview, and uh, they just bring up this kind of. Ideas, and then we have the some like a group discussion, like what newsrooms always do, like uh, uh, person A, B, C, and they bring their topics and why is it so necessary to do that and what they are going to do, like the preparation, the interview, some uh, guests that they want to in invite, and then after we discuss and okay, you can go ahead and then go ahead and we just confirm some topics and sometimes we think. Or maybe it's it is uh, too hard, or maybe it's uh, it takes a uh, quite long time. Maybe the guest is very hard to booked, uh, to be booked, and also like uh, this topic is too small, and maybe we need some more uh, uh stories to put inside, and then we can have a uh, full coverage. That that we have different considerations. So then we have select what kind of topic and what kind of issues we are going to do so that is kind of topic selection so but uh, in in terms of uh, the relation between the city team africa and uh, the beijing bureau since i don't have those kind of working experience so uh, I, I don't know the details yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's 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 move away from CGTN for a little bit because you do a lot of other things here. Yeah. Uh, and one of the roles that I see you doing on Global Times or even on Twitter and some other places is explaining China to the outside world. 
And 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 I'm curious to think to hear about what you think is the biggest thing that the outside world, particularly in places like Africa, misunderstands about China. What don't they get? And at the same time, I'm curious to hear what about the Chinese who misunderstand Africa and what don't they get? You're somebody who sits in between these two cultures, and I'd be interested to hear what you think are the biggest misunderstandings between the two. Yeah, frankly speaking, before I go to Africa, I also have kind of misunderstanding. After I got there, I just saw some the reality and uh, the real issues there. I just changed my mind, and I think、uh, the one of the obstacles that for China and Africa for both sides to、uh, have a more Clear understanding on both sides is、uh, we know each other from the third party, which is the West. Like、uh, previously,、uh, a lot of、uh, media coverage we just、uh, quote from the Western media on Africa, like、uh, BBC. They say they report、um, like some issues in Africa, and then we translate into Chinese. And sometimes for the African people, even even for today, they know the Chinese issues mainly from the West. So that means we must to have a more direct、uh, contact between China and、uh, Africa, and、uh, here's some issues like、uh, there are some、uh, personal or individual media. They just have their、uh, social media accounts, like on the on some、uh, video content and some、uh, writers. They write、uh, the stories in Africa and. Also, they invite the African people to write their stories directly, translate to Chinese, and that is much much better for Chinese people to have a direct understanding about what African people are doing and what about their stories, and that is some Chinese people now are doing. So I think that is a kind of major steps, and you see nowadays a lot of young Chinese people they go to. Africa and a lot of African people they come to China, and with this kind of individual media, people can have more direct link. I think that that would be better, and、uh, that has、um, got a lot of attention. And、um, I'm very interested in that area. So I think you 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 can also follow on that issue, like on TikTok in China. Yeah. But can you be specific though about what are some of the misunderstandings? So again, in broad issues, you're absolutely right. But in in the types of stories that you're trying to address in places like Global Times and even on Twitter,、um, what are some of the misperceptions about China that you're trying to correct or trying to explain to people so that they better understand where China is coming from? Well, I think、uh, the main mis、uh, misinformation between China and Africa is happening between Africa and other continent, like.、Uh, Some people in China still believe that Africa is a、uh, uh, one country, and so not not so many countries. Now, but now people gradually understand there are a lot of countries, a lot of people there, and also about uh, like uh, the Chinese、uh, economic presence there, and about the donation. Donation is、uh, donation and、uh, the foreign aid. It is a very controversial issue, not only in China but also in other countries like、uh, the Europe, the U.S. Like people in this country, just wondering why we give those grants to Africa, and after years and years of grants, why the students、uh, developed so fast, and sometimes there are also、uh, conflicts in some countries, and why we're still going to give this kind of 
grants. So that's why when we do kind of report on these issues, we must take very cautious on this domestic and also the, the reactions at home and abroad. Because you see China has the 1.4 billion people and many people are very curious on these kind of issues. And you must uh, be very cautious when do this kind of uh, report on those topics. And you must care about the reactions from both sides. Um, in the time that you spent in Africa, um, how, did you get an impression of what kind of um, impact Chinese media is having on how Africans see China? You mean the the impact of Chinese media on Africa? Yes. Like, is do you, do you get the feeling that is Chinese media successful in in presenting you know a richer, a more a more balanced view of China to Africans? Uh, I think the more balanced view, I think uh, it is it's much better because now we have uh, several programs on Africa, like Africa Life, uh, like other the, some documentaries, and also we have uh, some online online uh, life about African issues, like uh, uh, how, how to say the, the 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 wildlife moving in Kenya is 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 how how do you call this? Do, do you have this specific word? Yeah, we have a lot of wildlife. I mean, that's a key theme of American television about Africa for years. Is the same wildlife? Yeah, yeah, no, same thing. Yeah. Yep. I, it's the same thing on CGT Africa. We also do this uh, live show on the social media and uh, people on Chinese social media like Weibo. They can all so see those uh, or watch those lives. So that is uh, one issue. And the second, I think uh, uh, we have one principle. Let the African peoples to tell their stories. So that's why you see a lot of uh, journalists in Africa. They all come from local. Like uh, in Somali, we have the the people they they are in local and they they have a very very detailed knowledge about what is going on there. And in other countries, it is the same. So we want to have give them the platform, like a city in Africa. We give this airtime and we invite those African peoples to do their jobs and to do uh, their thinkings and give us what they saw and what they think. And sometimes you see when there are some very, very fantastic and uh, fabulous programs they produce, we translate them into Chinese. And so the people in China, they, they can watch that too. So I think that is what we have done. But uh, compared to like uh, CCN Africa or BBC Africa, I think we still have a uh, far way to go. Well, we're just a newcomer. <laughs> As you said, CDTN is uh, just a new brand. We just launched it just a few years ago. Yeah, it is it definitely on the brand side yeah. it's behind. But in terms of resources, there's a lot more uh, resources for CGTN in Kenya than there are, say, for example, for CNN. Uh, BBC just set up a facility in Kenya as well. And Xinhua, from my understanding, is increasing their uh, facilities in Kenya. So uh, uh, CCN Africa... They, they, they are not based in Kenya? No, there's just a small team. When I was at CNN in Atlanta, we used to produce the African content out of Atlanta. So, you know, uh, so most of there were a couple reporters that would feed stories to us in Atlanta and then we packaged it all up there and then it went out. But, so, but, but there, there, there are programs on, on Africa. I, I saw a lot and especially like the business issue. And that's some right. There's Marketplace they, Africa. They, there are a couple. 
they repeat them yeah. a lot, so it seems like they have a lot more than they actually have. <laughs> they repeat, <laughs> so they rebroadcast. Right? It's a lot of rebroadcasting, <laughs> but that, but for the most part, CNN does not spend Sorry, a lot I, of money I, I, in I, I Africa. I mean, I saw on TV, so I, I saw there are a lot of issues. No, <laughs> they are, no. they're doing new issues or <laughs> they're rebroadcasting. Shen Shuhui is an international news editor at CGTN. He's also a research fellow at the Institute for African Studies at Zhejiang Normal University and a columnist on the Global Times newspaper, as well as a commentator at China Radio International. He talks about Africa, uh, China-Africa relations. He's also on Twitter, which is great because if you really want to follow what a CGTN journalist is doing and seeing and how CGTN journalists see the world in very different ways than, say, Western journalists do, uh, is a great person to follow. Shuhui, what is your Twitter handle that people can follow? Thank you. Uh, my Twitter is uh, Shen Shuhui. It's my real name. And uh, you can see S-H-E-N uh, and S-H-I-W-E-I. I will put a link to your Twitter handle below. And you are joining more Chinese journalists and Chinese diplomats who are now on Twitter. So we're starting to hear more from the Chinese on Twitter, which is great. A little bit ironic that you can't use Twitter in China, but still at the same time, exciting that we can hear voices directly <laughs> I use, from. I, I, I can use that. <laughs> yes. Well, it's okay. great to have you. And so, well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your points of view. It was really a great pleasure to speak with you. Okay, thank you for inviting me here, and uh, very nice uh, to exchange my views, and uh, if uh, my views have some other issues you want to follow, just follow my Twitter. Kobus, it is so refreshing to hear a Chinese voice in the discussion. I don't agree with everything that Shu Hui had to say, I don't agree with his worldview, but the fact is, though, is that we just don't hear enough Chinese voices in the discourse. Uh, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, we spend a lot of time inviting Chinese people to participate in our show, and it is incredibly difficult. And so I want to just compliment and praise Shu Hui for stepping up and for doing it and for talking with us and being very open about it. Again, all of the things about CGTN, the controversies, the propaganda, all of that is well-documented. Uh, in all of the various reports. And those mirror a lot of how I kind of view the network. That being said, they are there. They're an important voice for China. Whether we agree, like, dislike, understand, not understand, we have to be able to engage them. And today, to me, was very, very special to be able to hear directly from somebody who is unapologetic and not shy about talking about CGTN. Again, I don't agree with everything he said, and I think that came out a little bit, but this discussion is so desperately needed, particularly because we're living in such hyper-partisan times, polarized times, and speaking across the transom uh, is now more important than ever. The problem, I think, with the current discussion is that it, it sets up a kind of a false um, division between, between Western and Chinese media. You know, um, there, it's very easy when you read Western accounts of Chinese media presence in Africa to think that there is this clear distinction between propaganda, which the which a lot of Western researchers like put CGTN into that category, and then somehow non-propaganda. You know, kind of which which would be something like you know Reuters or CNN or you know kind of any of the other kind of Western um, news services. In a lot of cases, what what that obscures is that even when you're working according to classic Western ideas of obje objectivity. That objectivity still fits into a worldview. 
you know, kind of, so, so a, a CNN journalist could completely think of themselves as being completely neutral and in lots of cases actually quite critical of the U.S. government. And that could, that could be 100% true. And yet, it, their work could still reflect certain base assumptions that structure Western thinking about the world. And some of those would be, you know, very, you know, in the West would be non-controversial issues, like, for example, thinking that democracy is good for example, or thinking that, that economic development is good, or thinking that, you know, that, that companies should be allowed to, make, to, to freely operate in order to make a maximize shareholder profit. All of those things are simply assumptions that, that, are, that underlie Western thinking about how the world should work. But they are, when you dig down into them, they are ideologically fraught. They, they, they carry with them whole sets of ideologies um, that get evoked, whether you are, you know, whether you're trying to or not get evoked into pr pr like pushing a certain idea of what the West means or what the Western involvement in Africa means. So in that sense, it's not so easy to make a distinction between propaganda and non-propaganda. There is the, the, the idea that there is propaganda and then there's objective reporting that is somehow new, value neutral is a myth. Um, and so, you know, this kind of conversation about how, how people in CGTN work and how they think about their own work is incredibly important to try and to try start adding some nuance to that thinking. I am so glad you brought that up. And I'm going to tell you a little story. So my background is all in journalism. I'm the former editor-in-chief of France 24 Digital. I'm the first foreign general director of a Vietnamese business news channel, of a TV news channel, or of any news organization in Vietnam. I've worked at CNN. I've worked at BBC. I've worked at CNBC. You, you kind of name it, I've been around. When I moved to Vietnam to run FBNC, which is Financial Business and News Channel, and I left France 24 to come and run FBNC, uh, people said to me, oh, they said the censorship must be terrible in Vietnam. And here in Vietnam, there is political censorship, just like there is in China. The content is vetted to ensure that it, it aligns with the political directives of the day. And so you create content knowing that that's going to be there. Most of the content that the journalists who worked for me uh, never had to be censored because they knew exactly where the lines were. They self-censored before the censors got to it. The fact is, though, is that when I was at CNN, we never did a story on the tobacco industry or any major advertiser. There, the censorship in the United States is corporate censorship. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. You will never see a local TV news station do an investigation on used car salesmen. It just doesn't happen because that's one of their largest sources of advertisement. Now, that's a broad generalization, but for the most part, it still rings very, very true to this day, that corporate interests get a different set of treatment than, say, political interest. But it's still censorship at the end of the day. In France, at France 24 for me, it was very interesting. I would sit in editorial meetings, and this is about Africa. There was a time back in 2012 when there was the Michael Sada elections in Zambia, and at the same time there were elections in Cameroon. And I put elections in Cameroon in air quotes because Paul Bia has never really faced elections. And so we were in the, the senior staff meeting deciding where are we going to deploy the resources? And I said, well, Zambia is where the story is because Michael Sada, the Chinese, the copper, all of that is a key geopolitical story. Well, they ended up going to Cameroon. And afterward, I said, what? Why would he go to Cameroon? And they looked at me, my colleagues, as if I was an idiot. They said, because it's a Francophone country. And of course, that's where the bias for the French is. 
So it's a cultural censorship in France. The point that I'm trying to make here is not to justify or excuse or rationalize any of the Chinese or Vietnamese censorship, the political censorship. The fact is that we all confront various degrees of censorship. And as you pointed out, there is no pure Envir- you know, pure editorial environment, short of you doing it yourself. But then even when we do it ourselves, Cobus, you and I bring certain biases to our content, advertent or inadvertent. So this makes it super complicated in terms of finding the truth. And what is the truth? The West has long projected itself as being objective, independent journalism. Uh, I would argue that there are some flaws with that, as I think you would too, Cobus, just the same way that I think when CGTN presents itself as saying we just broadcast the truth, I think to some extent there's – well, not to some extent. It's well documented that there are flaws with that as well. So this gets into some really gray, murky territory, and I have a feeling that we're going to get some hate mail out of this. But I think it's really interesting as a journalist to explore your own biases and certainly those of the networks you work with. Uh, Final thoughts to you, Cobus. Yeah, no, I completely just co-sign on that. It's really important for journalists to think about the choices that they make um, and for everyone else to think about how their their view of reality is shaped by coverage. You know, kind of no one comes to to reality in some kind of unmediated, pure way. You know, it's it's if, if we only understood our reality in terms of what we experience ourselves, our reality would be incredibly small. The, the only way that we can function as a global society dealing with global problems is if we depend on some form of media to, to, to help us to understand what's happening in other parts of the world. All of that media is always coming with its own set of ideological assumptions and ideological messages. That's just how media works. Um, so it's really important for, for people to understand how they, what they see as just their, just their common sense idea of what is real to how, how much that view of the world is a constructed thing that's based on the work of people um, like Shuei, you know, um, and, and his colleagues in all of these different and conflicting uh, media services. So it's really, really important to, to think of, one, of the way that one sees the world as a constructed thing and then to think hard about how that construction works. Wow, this got deep really fast at the end there. It was very, (laughs) not usually how we end a show, but these are the types of topics that we do address every single day in our daily email newsletter that goes out to subscribers. Uh, If you'd like to subscribe, go to our webpage, chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe, and you'll get a daily email and unlimited access to our website that includes these kinds of discussions, uh, both we're having in audio and in text, Uh, but again, on that deep, really granular level. So if if you've made it to this point in the podcast, you're a committed listener and committed to China Africa. So we'd like to invite you to join uh, the China Africa Project and also to support independent journalism. This is how we make our living. Well, this is how I make my living. Koba still has a day job. But uh, this is we're trying to be an independent, nonpartisan voice in this discussion and not bring uh, too many biases. But again, I say that everybody brings a certain degree of bias to to covering this kind of story. And uh, I'm very grateful, actually, to the people on Twitter and elsewhere who check me from time to time and provide us the honest feedback to keep us straight and true as much as possible. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Kobus and I will be back again next week for another episode. Until then, thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project 
to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com. Music